we got the alternative energy free autonomy and welcome to the radioactive show produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the community radio network Welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced on the unceded lands of the Wurrung and so-called Thornbury in Nam, Melbourne. I'm your host, AC. I'm recording the show from home this week as 3CR is on lockdown. But despite everything, the Rad Show is going to continue to bring you news, views and interviews from the peace and nuclear-free movement. For today's show, I interviewed Robert Green, retired commander from the British Royal Navy. After retiring from the Navy in 1982, Robert became a peace and anti-nuclear campaigner and moved to Ōtotahi, Christchurch, in Aotearoa, New Zealand. He's talking on today's show about a push to convince the Australian government to invest in nuclear-powered submarines, the most recent example of this being an opinion piece in the Australian newspaper by Gary Johnson. And welcome, Rob. Thanks, AC. Um, could you please introduce yourself and just explain, I guess, your area of expertise in relation to nuclear submarines? Well, I served in the British Navy for 20 years, from 1962 to 1982. So, uh, I mean, I am 75, uh, so I'm, I'm a bit um, long in the tooth. But I do stay in touch with... Um, naval issues particularly in the UK um, through a very good colleague um, who was a former submarine commander, a former Polaris submarine commander back in the 1970s and who is very closely in touch with the younger uh, former commanding officers and the submarine service in the Royal Navy. Um, I was an aviator. Um, I actually served in nuclear strike jets um, with a target in Russia. uh, of aircraft carriers, and then uh, switched to anti-submarine helicopters. So, in fact, um, I was anti-submarine, yeah. Um, yeah. and I have to say I'm, I'm now anti-submarine again, um, <laughs> my dotage, um, because the whole issue of um, submarines and getting submarines um, is quite a um, sensitive issue, I can see, and um, so I'm happy to pass on what I think about this. Mm. And what, what is your kind of response to that call for us, the Australian um, government to invest well, in the submarine? I read it. Um, Gary Johnston, I can see, is a very busy man. He's got this website, Submarines for Australia, so he's got a clear vested interest. Um, uh, and he's obviously um, got some influence um, because he's got it published. Um, and I can see that this is um, uh, a, a tricky subject uh, for Australia because it, it looks like um, this decision was taken four years ago by the Turnbull government to um, acquire um, a new uh, lot of conventionally powered submarines to replace the Collins class, um, going to the French government-owned naval group to actually design it. Yeah. Um, design them um, and they are incredibly expensive uh, 50 billion dollars um, and that's in 2018 prices so we've gone up since then 
Yeah. And I was interested to uh, read that Australia already holds the record for the most expensive surface warships of their size ever built uh, with the Hobart class um, air warfare destroyers. Um, so, um, yes, his push seems to be that, first of all, this is um, an unnecessarily expensive um, order yeah. and that um, he has come up with a plan B, which would be to um, enhance the Collins class um, with help from the Swedes, Swedish um, company Saab, uh, who do have quite a bit of experience, uh, although Saab is generally known for um, military aircraft um, and civilian, but also um, they do build submarines. And, um, uh, and basically he is saying that that of course is now no good um, because uh, with China as a rising um, uh, power in the South China Sea area, um, it's and India is a rising power as well and has new, they both have nuclear submarines and Australia is going to have to get nuclear submarines too so it doesn't cut it to even improve the Collins class I think that's the picture of what he's saying yeah uh, and and I would basically argue that this is all um, uh, dependent upon an attitude about Australia's security, which in my view is grossly outdated and is frankly paranoid. You may or may not have heard of the Australian defense commentator, Hugh White, Professor Hugh White. I think he's based at ANU in, in Canberra. Yeah. And um, just to uh, show the influence he has um, over here, he recently visited Wellington and gave um, some lectures at Victoria University uh, about the need for um, Australia to, would you believe, um, not only uh, increase its defence uh, because of the China threat, but mm. also even to consider um, nuclear weapons. Yeah, right. And it's only nuclear weapons. And his, his concern is that um, America is proving an unreliable ally, and we'd all agree with that, mm. um, and therefore... As far as Australia is concerned, they are going to have to learn to manage on their own um, uh, because with Britain a declining power as well, um, despite what the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson um, fantasises about, um, mm. then um, Australia is a wealthy country um, and needs to step up. Um, and uh, I, am, um, I understand where he's coming from. I don't know how old he is. I should imagine he must be in his 70s himself. Yeah. Um, he's been around for a long time. He very much reflects um, the view, which is actually, again, echoed by this guy, Gary Johnston, in his Australian um, op-ed, um, which is in which he harks back to the, um, the threat from Japan in the 1940s in World War II. And so I think what we're actually dealing with here is a grossly outdated um, <clears throat> view of the world um, uh, in Australia, uh, which I feel New Zealand has broken free from to a certain extent, although there is always big pressure to claw it back. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but I've also noticed that in there's an article which Hugh White, uh, it's actually a talk he gave at Victoria University in Wellington um, re uh, recently, um, where he um, is comparing the attitude of Australia 
to defence with that of New Zealand. Mm. And he, he definitely says that New Zealand takes a, a, a very different view, um, is not so committed to defence. Um, <clears throat> and anyway, of course, um, our GDP here is only 15% of Australia's um, and so on. And we are um, a very distant country in terms of the threat. Mm. And so <clears throat> my attitude to all this is basically that that we need to have um, a major rethink of the whole attitude to security and defense uh, in this current era, especially when here we are in lockdown um, here in Christchurch in New Zealand this very morning um, <clears throat> because of a, a COVID-19 virus. And, um, and we all are in this together. Yeah. The whole world is, has to be together on this one. And yeah. so are you, is, is Hugh White really imagining that China is going to take advantage of this, where they've been through this themselves, and they're going to start, um, you know, uh, threatening Australia? Why would um, China want to take over Australia anyway? They seem to be doing very well using soft power mm. investment, you know, in companies in Australia. <clears throat> that would be the extent of their influence, as far as I can see. You're listening to The Radioactive Show and an interview with Robert Green discussing a push to convince the Australian government to invest in nuclear-powered submarines. In the next part of the interview, Robert discusses the situation in the UK, which has a long history of using nuclear submarines in their Navy. At this very moment, two of the four Vanguard-class um, Trident um, nuclear armed missile submarines in the British Navy mm. are in dry dock. Yeah, right. And um, <clears throat> there are huge problems with the reactor propulsion system. Mm. Um, and this points up for me um, that Gary Johnston is actually fantasizing if he thinks that Australia could actually build nuclear submarines. Yeah. Um, uh, the only countries that have got nuclear submarines are United States, Russia, China, France, and the UK. Mm. Uh, and they're all former, um, they're all former or current global powers, um, nuclear powers, and <clears throat> with uh, a long history of nuclear involvement, nuclear power plants, you name it. Yeah. Australia um, could not do it um, without a massive drastic shift in its defense um, allocation and industrial base mm. and <clears throat> I, I reiterate the problem that um, the Australian Navy had in getting the Hobart class built uh, that was bad enough this is going to be orders of magnitude more complicated and of course what they're doing is they're, they're dreaming about joining the big boys yeah. and this is um, something that you know I believe um, Australian defence uh, analysts uh, <clears throat> and defence force themselves have always hankered after. And um, uh, so all I would say is that even in Britain, um, there are big problems with the current deployed submarine. <clears throat> and then I would go through, with, with the, make the comment that at the very moment, people are beginning to ask in Britain, what the hell is the deployed Trident submarine doing out there at the moment when their families of the crew are in lockdown at home. Mm. The crews will be getting very. The crew will get very restive. 
the commanding officer will have a morale crisis. That, that submarine needs to be brought home. Yeah. It, and, the, and the crew needs to be sent home uh, to their families. Um, I know they're in the most ultimate isolation, but that's no comfort to them. So that's the next problem about the ridiculous nature of the British so-called nuclear deterrent. The second point I would make about nuclear submarines is the current um, submarine uh, force in the Royal Navy consists of, I think it is um, seven astute class nuclear attack submarines. Mm-hmm. Um, these have been very difficult to build, hugely expensive. They have, their cost has doubled. Um, <clears throat> they're good submarines, but there are not enough of them. Even for little Britain, um, to be able to contribute in any meaningful way to the cost of um, being up with the big boys again, which means the Americans. Um, so insufficient numbers. You cannot build enough to maintain um, a, a viable force. And the, the other consequence for Britain is that, of course, it is utterly dependent upon the Americans for its nuclear capability. Both, it's not just the nuclear missiles, not just the actual warheads, which they have built to an American design, but um, it is the nuclear propulsion system too. Uh, It is so sophisticated. Um, And now, of course, with um, Brexit and this dream of global Britain, where um, they're going to go back to the 1950s, um, to imperial days, it's just utter fantasy. It's not going to happen. It cannot be afforded. And so I would really ask that um, people think hard about this. And and there are other ways of dealing with your security. We've got to learn to live together. It's no good going on with this confrontation, trying to bring back the Cold War and so on. Um, That is going to lead to um, uh, tears and, um, uh, and ruin. Um, uh, and we've got to start thinking together. And I would also uh, commend the young people in Australia, who I'm sure are as active as they are here in Extinction Rebellion, mm. about climate crisis. Well, there is a branch, of course, uh, I understand in Britain that has been developed now called XR Peace. Mm. And that is to make the link with militarism and with the growing um, cost of military power and the irrelevance of it in light of the, the crises we face. They're absolutely unusual. In fact, the only really useful um, role for the Defence Force here in New Zealand at this very minute is in support of the police to be able to um, enforce the lockdown. You're listening to an interview with Robert Green, a retired British Navy commander who now campaigns against nuclear weapons and energy. We're discussing a push to convince the Australian government to invest in nuclear-powered submarines, here on The Radioactive Show. Next up, we discuss the experience of Navy crews on nuclear submarines in the UK. I wanted to ask, um, just in terms of the nuclear submarines, about sort of impacts on health and the dangers to crew of nuclear submarines in relation to accidents or also just everyday exposure to radiation? Yes. Um, You've touched a really insensitive point here because I um, 
found that when I came out against nuclear weapons, um, I, <clears throat> I came out about um, well, nearly 30 years ago now, um, and I had been in military intelligence in my final job, naval intelligence, running the intelligence center at the command bunker that ran the Falklands War mm. um, in 1982. Um, and so um, I was obviously a loyal um, supporter of the British Polaris Force at the time. But I can tell you that um, after I left the Navy and I became an anti-nuclear energy campaigner, mm. um, uh, because I had an aunt um, who was an anti-nuclear campaigner called Hilda Murrell in UK, who was murdered in 1984. Um, uh, and she was in, in definitely challenging the state about um, radioactive waste. Yeah. Radioactive yeah. waste is the Achilles heel of the nuclear industry. And mm. I'm sure I don't need to lecture Australians about the risks of, um, of nuclear waste, because after all, you are um, you know, responsible for producing some of the raw material for nuclear industry worldwide. Mm. Um, and you have to live with that. But I warn you that it's a very demanding um, and merciless foe, um, radioactivity. Mm. Um, and the technology required to control it um, is daunting mm. and is incredibly expensive. And um, you can't afford to make mistakes. And, and basically, I'll, I'll never forget, um, when we had our first major earthquake here, mm. um, back in 2010, and I can tell you this house I'm living in is still having um, to have repairs sorted out 10 years on. Mm. Um, uh, basically, um, one of the first thoughts we realized was, it was an appalling experience here, and we needed the whole of the community in Christchurch to come together to recover. It was like a war zone in many ways, but the great um, blessing was that it was clean. Mm. If, you, if you understand, it was clean rubble, yeah. okay, and damage. What you have with nuclear is it is, it's contaminated. And so rather like the covert, the co coronavirus, it, it, it's it's not just a question of going up and clearing up the mess uh, mm -hmm. or looking after people. Um, you have to wear protective clothing to do it. Mm -hmm. And you see what the medical uh, people are struggling with now with this virus. Um, and that is exactly what radioactivity is. And so you have this whole extra dimension of complication and risk. Yeah. And the other thing I have to tell you is that I had some families of former crew members of Polaris submarines who came to me um, because they knew I was campaigning against nuclear energy and nuclear weapons. And they wanted me to know that um, their, um, <clears throat> their husbands had been um, basically sailors in mm. Polaris submarines. And uh, when the submarine was in refit, they were not properly protected as fire sentries in the reactor compartment where there was repairs going on. And um, the reactor coolant system, basically, when it's being repaired, it's radioactive because there's been radioactivity going through all the coolant system. And so um, basically they were exposed and, um, and they weren't properly protected. They just had to wear face masks and protect the suits. And, um, and it was actually um, 
the consequence was that they got very sick and um, and died. Mm -hmm. And this was all covered up because they wanted to maintain this, this ability to operate these nuclear weapons and nuclear submarines. And all I would say is that it's too hard and uh, people should think very carefully about the downside of nuclear power. It is actually a dirty business. It's merciless. Yeah, so the UK is now coping with, with trying to get rid of their and dismantle their nuclear submarines that are um, finish their duty. And they're, they're, they're all nuclear waste, like what's left of them is... Yes, uh, and one of the extraordinary facts is that not one of the Britain's nuclear submarines, going right back to HMS Dreadnought, which uh, was launched in 1962, I think, um, has been actually disposed of yet. They're just sitting in um, anchorages, having to be guarded carefully day and night, cooling systems, electrical power having to be run the whole time. Mm. And there must be over 40 now, um, and they don't know what to do with them. Mm. It is an, it's an unmanageable problem. Mm. And the Sellafield um, nuclear um, center up in uh, Cumbria and in the Lake District is now overflowing with highly radioactive waste. Mm. And, um, and of course, with the virus, the coronavirus now, uh, they're having to send the workers all home. Mm. And so they're literally in a real struggle to actually maintain continuous cooling systems, again, to the highly radioactive waste tanks up there in Sellafield uh, when they have, you know, a huge health crisis. And so it just is, is too hard and it's just too dangerous and we do not need it. Mm. We really don't need it. Spend your money on the health services and community and living together and improving our ability to um, coexist on this very crowded planet. That was Robert Green, retired Navy commander turned nuclear-free campaigner. You've been listening to The Radioactive Show. This show was produced for 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, and distributed across this continent via the Community Radio Network. The Radioactive Show is made possible by the financial support of the ACE Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth, and we are so appreciative of their support. You can download Radioactive Show podcast on our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. And if you need to contact us, please message us on Facebook or call 3CR station on 03 9419 8377. Thanks to Robert Green for taking the time to talk with me on the show. You can learn more about Robert's peace and anti-nuclear work through the Disarmament and Security Centre website www.disarmsecure.org We'll go out on a song by Anika Moa, Lies in This Land, from her 2005 album, Stolen Hill. Thanks for listening. I hope you're all doing okay wherever you are. Remember, physical distancing and social solidarity will get us through. Here's to a nuclear-free future post the COVID-19 pandemic.
Cost of 